Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. I'm Greg DeVries, pastor at The Well Scottsboro, and I'm grateful that you've decided to listen to this podcast. I hope that this word uplifts you and encourages you wherever you are. Stay with me for a few moments after the sermon. I would like to pray with you. I trust you'll be blessed by the word of God. Listen, I'm going to share a message with you this morning that I feel like the Lord has dropped in my heart, and I want to present it to you in a way that uh, would be helpful, uh, would uh, get you positioned for what God wants you to do. You cannot start something new and give yourself fully to it if you haven't already completed what was going on. Amen? So this morning's message is, it is finished. It is finished. Have you ever had somebody ask you a question, what is it? And then somebody responds to you and they say, oh, it's nothing. Uh, what is it? Oh, it, it's everything. I mean, I've ever been one of those conversations. But nobody knows what the it is, right? Well, we're not sure what the it is, but it is making a huge impact upon our life. There's possibly an it in your life. There's possibly an it in our lives that needs to be dealt with. And the reality is, Jesus has already dealt with it. Whatever's building the it, it's not even good enough to have, per se, a name, or perhaps you don't even want to say the name because the name of it might be embarrassing, might be convicting, might be troubling. But we have got to deal with it. Jesus, when he hung on the cross, his very last words dealt with it. Jesus said, it is finished. The it, whatever that was in the past, was dealt with in the is. I'm dealing with it right now. In this moment, it's dealt with, becomes present, and it's finished. It doesn't come back. Perhaps you have reoccurring issues in your life. Reoccurring issues personality conflicts, moral desires, troubles in your life or fantasies or covetousness, whatever it may be, and it keeps reoccurring and you find yourself only being able to get so far that you can't cross over and you hope sometimes that a new year will fix it. It's not a new year that will fix it. It's the new covenant that fixed it. Your debts are already paid. Your punishment has already been taken. You're saying, oh my goodness, you're going to preach about sin again? Friends, I really don't know that there's anything else we really should have to preach about. Because he sent a savior because he knew the greatest problem was and is sin. Sin has a tendency to separate man from God. Oh, you could be walking hand in hand with them and let go and lay your hands on the world and you start to find a separation. And then the guilt complex comes in. Then deception starts to work. Enticement works over and it starts pulling you further. I'm not saying that he's changed. We've just gotten distant from him. Amen. So in John chapter 19, verse 28, after this, the, uh, what Jesus is going through on the cross, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished. I don't know about you, but I want to be an accomplished person. 
I've been noticing lately in my life, there's this reoccurring theme coming up to finish well, to finish well. I heard a message the other day about it. I read it in a scripture the other day. Last night, I started reading a book, and in the book was to finishing well. I realized that I'm in that season of life, as many of you already are, or many of you are coming into, or, or some of you are just approaching as I am, that I'm in that last stage of my life. I don't know where those 60 years went. I still feel like an 18-year-old sometimes, and Gretchen says, I still act like one sometimes. But I want to finish well. You can finish 2023 well because you can do it now. You can make decisions now. Could have possibly been one of the worst years of your life, one of the most difficult years of life, but you can finish well. And some of you, it might have been a difficult life, but a good life, and you did everything well, but you still need to finish well. And that's simply keeping the faith. Keeping the faith. Jesus said all things were accomplished. Some things have to come to pass before other things can be completed. You just have to go through some things to get to others. That the scripture might be fulfilled and said, I thirst. He said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there and it filled the sponge with the sour wine, put it on a hyssop, and put it to his mouth. Notice what it was, a sour wine, but the reality is Jesus brings new wine. He's coming out of the old, that which is sour is old, but he's coming into the new. That old covenant is being done away with, and they're, they're trying to give him a taste of the past. He has no desire for it. He's not thirsty for what was. He's thirsty for what is and what is to come. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he says, it is finished. I have no desire for that. I have no taste for that. That can do nothing for me. The it that he was finishing was much bigger than the it we need to finish. But if we can get connected to the finisher, it can get finished. Now, all sin, all, all it's is not just bad sin. Some sin is not doing what you need to be doing. All sin's not the bad things you've done, but if you keep doing those, you won't be able to do good. But sometimes sinning is just, I'm not fulfilling what he's called me to do. I'm not being who he's called me to be. I'm not living the life he wants me to live. I believe you're here today because you desire to live and move and have your being in Christ. I believe you're here today because you, somewhere inside of you, there's a desire not just to know him, but to spend eternity with him. And you're in the right place at the right time. You're in the right place, and this is the right time for that. Finish means, meaning to bring to an end, finish or complete. Bring to an end, finish or complete. Jesus finished what God sent him to do. Jesus fulfilled what God had him to do to live that sinless life, to live that righteous life, to live that loving life. I don't ever want to jump over this. It takes time to really learn and comprehend some things, but when Jesus died on the cross, he was fulfilling how he told you and I to live. 
He said, the first two greatest commandments are these. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. Amen? And the second is likened unto it to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And these two hang all the laws and all the prophets, all these pages uh, from the beginning uh, of Matthew back, all those pages in the Bible fulfilled in those two things. All of this is fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled all the law and all the prophets. When Jesus is at the cross, we have a tendency to emphasize on the second commandment, but not enough on the first commandment. And then we only live by the second commandment and we feel like we don't have to live by the first commandment. When Jesus died on the cross, he was being obedient to the Father. Therefore, he was loving God with all of his heart, all of his soul, all of his mind, all of his strength. He didn't leave any of it hid away somewhere. It was all on the cross. He was all out for God. And, and you and I are told by Jesus that if we desire to come after him, not just if we desire to go to heaven, but we desire to come after him, there's a few steps that need to be fulfilled and accomplished before we can enter into his heaven. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself. Love God more than you love yourself. Pick up your cross. Be dead to those things. Be finished with those things. Do not have an attachment to those things whatsoever. And then follow me. So he was loving God first and foremost. And in the midst of his loving God, he didn't have to do anything else but just love God. And he was loving us. If we would put our emphasis on loving God, it won't be hard to love others. Just like 2023 will be finished tonight at 12 a.m. It'll become 2024, be finished and over. What might need to be finished in our lives? What might need to be done or accomplished or fulfilled in our lives? In Numbers chapter 11, picking up in verse 1, it says, now when the people, any people in here? Can I get a witness? Where are you at? All right, there's people in here. Now, when the people complained, I know there's no complainers in here, right? You don't have to be griping or moaning to be complaining. It's just what you're, you don't come in agreement with. It says, now, when the people complain, it, everybody say it, it. displeased the Lord. For the Lord heard it, everybody say it, it. and his anger was aroused. So could we possibly stir the emotions of God? And his anger was aroused, so the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire was quenched. So he called the name of the place Taberah, because the fire of the Lord had burned among them. I just want to point out a couple things here. Is one, it says it displeased the Lord. It did not say they displeased the Lord. When God looks at you, he does not see you as displeasurable. He's not displeased in you. He sees potential. He sees possibility. Especially if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he sees the blood. He sees the work of the cross. 
He remembers your confession, but chooses not to remember your sin. The reality still is, and as simple as this, is that God hates sin, but he loves sinners. Well, that's some pretty powerful love. It's hard to, to differentiate the two sometimes, but the reality is because sinners sin against you, sometimes we don't love them, but it's a sin that we should not love. But we have a tendency to breed out of the sin. They offended us, so we talk badly about them. We re respond accordingly to the sin. But it was it, and it was it that he heard. Is there the possibility? Now, they came to Moses, and they cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed for them, he interceded for them, and the fire quenched. But notice that there's, there's people unmentioned who they were. There are people who were affected by their complaining. Is there the possibility that those who live near to us or close to us, that the, uh, the it in our life could be affecting their lives? The it in our life could be the it in their life. So they called out to Moses who didn't have an it in his life. He had some it's in his life. But he'd experienced the fire on his own. He'd encountered the fire of God. He saw the burning bush. He took his sandals off. And he responded to his call for his life. And he cries out to the Lord and, and, and said the Lord heard, he heard his prayer and the fire quenched. It was the it that displeased God, and it was the it that God heard. Is there the possibility there's an it in our lives? Now, I can say it this way. In your life, that could be hindering the prayers. That could be hindering the desire. Could be hindering the thirst. Could be hindering the hunger. Could be hindering the relationship with God. There's a very good possibility, very good possibility. I've noticed through the years of pastoring 30-some years now and in ministry and watching, especially in churches where I'm pastoring, that, that sometimes it's almost seemingly like the same people every week or every other week that come to the altar and, and, and they keep coming to people like, well, what could there be wrong? They're dealing with the little things so they don't become big things. And usually you'll find the people that frequent the altar are the people who frequent his presence, who frequent in obedience, who frequent in, you get the picture. And then you start seeing some people that, I don't know, they just get to where they don't have to go to the altar anymore. I don't know you ever get to where you don't have to go to the altar anymore. Because then the altar becomes a place of sacrifice. It, it, the altar becomes the, the identification like, like the communion cup and the, and the, and the unleavened bread is to, to you and I symbolic of Jesus. The altar is symbolic of the cross. This, this is where we die to things. You can have an altar at home. You can have an altar at work. You can have an altar in your car. This had a vision of a steering wheel with a cross in the middle of it. You can have an altar right here. Don't ever miss the altar. If there's an altar, turn in. It's there for a reason. It's, it's there for, for the drawing. It's, it's there for whosoever. Don't forget the altar. Don't leave the altar out of your life. 
What is the it in our lives? Could it be complaining? Could it be doubt? Could it be jealousy? Could it be hatred? Could it be lust? Could it be covetousness? Could it be pride? I, I don't know. I don't know what it is in your life. I, I know the it's in my life, but we have to deal with the it in our lives. The it could be hindering us from that. So how does this play out? These guys are griping and complaining. God feeds them, nourishes them, speaks to them, calls them out. In Numbers chapter 14, the same group of people have just received the return of 12 men who went to spy out the land. So I don't know what that might look like today other than there's people in here who know who Mr. Green Jeans is and they could tell people about Captain Kangaroo that have never seen Captain Kangaroo. They don't know who Mr. Green Jeans is. There are people in here that could tell people about marriage who have been married for 40 years for people who have been married for 40 weeks who think they know it all and got it all but they can learn from the spies who have traveled the land. There are people who go before and search it out and seen it. They've been there, but you haven't. A spy gets there before it's time to get it. And so he sends the spies out, and, and now the spies have come back to the camp, and they're, and they're bringing some report back, and we're going we're gonna to go from 14 back to 13 in just a second. But picking up in Numbers 14, it says this in verse 2, And all the children of Israel complained. And all the children of Israel complained. Against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt. You know, some people get saved and they start complaining that the church isn't good enough for this and good enough for that. Or people uh, come and find their mate and, 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 and the church and they get married and then all of a sudden uh, the family doesn't go to church anymore, whatever. And, and they, they start to think that that's not good anymore. It's not important anymore. And they said, we should have just died in Egypt. We just, we're going to go back to the world. And go back to our bondage. We were better off in bondage than we are being a Christian. Listen, if anybody told you Christianity was easy, they lied to you. Jesus said, I mentioned this last week, that the straight and narrow area is difficult. But we live in a generation that doesn't like difficulty. They like ease. They like ease. They started to introduce it to, uh, to little girls years ago, easy bake. Easy oven. Easy to pizza delivery. Everything's easy, easy, easier. Listen to me. Following Jesus is not easy. Just like getting old is not for sissies, nor is being a Christian for sissies. It's not for wimps. Are you with me? All the children of Israel complain. And they complain against Moses and Aaron. Have you ever noticed that when you, get, when you get mad about something, you don't like something, you try to find somebody to take the blame? Try to find somebody to put the heat on. 
I'm, I'm sharing this for you. You have a tendency, whether it's in a, a marriage, whether it's in parenting, whether it's in business work, whether it's in your activity, your sports, your life, and something doesn't go wrong, <clears throat> don't try to blame shift. Don't put it on somebody else. You say, yeah, but something's wrong. No, the complaining is what is wrong. Don't be a complainer. I'm telling you, it could be the it in your life. Come out of complaining. Come out of gripe sessions. It could be the it that's hindering you from finishing. Or if we had only, if we had died in this wilderness... In other words, they're saying, you know what? It was, it was good. It was good. We, didn't, we got out of bondage, and we started following, and we started going through it, and it's good to be passionate. Man, I should have died there. Should just, it would have been better to die there than to, than to trust God for that. For what? For the promised land. Right now, many may be frustrated, saying, my life isn't what I thought it was going to be as a Christian. Stay the course. Stay the course. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword? In other words, why, why do we have to battle? Why do we have to fight? And, and see, they're used to everything being done for them. They're, they're used for the Red Sea being open for them. They didn't have to do anything. They didn't have to do anything. They're used to somebody leading them here and leading them there. And then they get out in the wilderness and they need water and it comes out of a rock and they need all these different things. And, and they're used to everything just being done for them. See, that's one of the biggest challenges of Christianity is that he did it all for you. Except for what you now need to fulfill. Now it's about your walk. Now it's about your, uh, it's about your following. It's about your obedience. It's about how you respond to him. It's how you handle life. It's how you do life. Be careful. It's always going to look greener on the other side. It's always going to look better somewhere else. So often we're running for wealth and we're running for fame. We're running for, for promotions. Promotions of the Lord. Don't build your own ladders. Use the ladders that angels come up and down. Would it not have been better for us? Would it not have been better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, this is why so many people backslide, is that they think life is better over there, and they go back to it. And they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Let me just, this message isn't about leaders. This message is not pointed about me being the leader of the church. The point here is everybody gets to choose who and what they're going to follow. When you walk out those doors, you choose what you're going to follow. When I walk in these doors in the position that I've been given, the calling that I'm on, I have got to choose who are we going to follow. What scriptures are we going to follow? How are we going to carry this out? I have a choice. You have a choice. I had a choice this morning. I had a choice last night. I had a choice a week ago, what I was going to preach this morning. And I had to keep throwing my choices to the side and find out what is the word of the Lord. What is the word of the Lord for this moment and for this hour? You are going to follow what you choose to follow. Verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, 
who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. Tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, the land we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. Now, there's a lot to preach in that right there. But I was going to remind you, they've been there. They were there. They spoke up. They said, it's not just good, it's exceedingly good. Could the finish of this race be only heaven? But to finish the races proceeding to heaven are required. Keeping the faith. Let me make a reference to, if you turn to, to Numbers chapter 13, I want you to see a few things that Joshua and Caleb and the other 10 experienced while they were in the land. It's just one little chapter explaining and giving a description of what they went through. And now here they are giving this report to them. He said, it's exceedingly good land. Pick it up in uh, chapter 13, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. Uh, notice there, there's a connected promise. There's an instruction of what needs to be done, but there's a connection of why it needs to be done. Because I'm going to give this to the children of Israel. So it's their promised land. He's going to, 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 to see and to check things out and to look things over. It's kind of like I was in a store the other day and I asked a gentleman, I said, do you guys, do you know of anything in the store that, that this item where it would be might be at? He said, well, let me go look. And he went over and I said, I, I know I can find it online, but I just, for some reason, I just don't trust whether it's going to be the right one. He said, I like to feel it and see it too. Just a little object, small object. He's sending them to feel it and see it. He's sending them to, to go prepare them to have this for this very moment because he knew where the heart of the people were. The reason he sends me as a pastor into prayer is to feel it, is to sense it. The reason he gives us a vision is to sense it and feel it, to see it before it comes, is to be engaged with it, to be able to speak to it, to be able to encourage the people. He knows that we're discouraged. He knows we're disappointed. Some self-inflicted, some just common afflicted. But we, he knows that we are in a state that we're in right now. He knows the it in your life. He's heard it. He's seen it already. You don't have to hide it anymore. You don't have to hang with it anymore. He's saying, listen, I have something better for you. But if you keep it in your life, you won't go there. And I got news for you. If it's a birthday party, it's a birthday party. But if it's heaven, it's heaven. We got to get the it out of our life. So he sends them out in verse 17. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up this way into the south. There, there's always instructions in the word of God. I don't know what it is about us that we always want to cut shortcuts. The, uh, Levi got tickled the other day. He was telling my mother when he went to pick her up in Louisville to bring her down for, I think it was Thanksgiving time, and said, uh, in the traffic, said, Dad, Dad, Dad doesn't matter if it takes longer just as long as he's moving. Where you at, guys? Thank you. Just as long as I'm moving. Sitting in traffic is not made for me or I'm not made for it. 
But I seem to have this tendency to want to do that in Walmart too. At the gas pumps and Chick-fil-A double line. And I'm not real good at picking the right one. Can I get a witness? Thank you. There's an instruction. We have a tendency. It's built inside of us, intrinsic inside of us, to want to find our own way to get somewhere. There's only one way, and it's Jesus. There's only one way, and it's Jesus. But throughout, God has instructions. He said, this is the way for you guys to go. And God tells them, go up the mountain. Because most likely, if you're looking at the way to go, and you see a mountain, and you see a valley... You see a river or you see a peak over here, you're going to choose the lowland. You can't spy from the lowland. You got to get up to the highland. So he sent them to the high places to be able to get a better perspective of what is taking place. So he said, You guys go up this way to the south and go to the mountains and see what the land is like. Whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak or many. He said, you've got to have some discernment here. You've got to see whether they're strong or whether they're weak. Whether there's a few or whether there's many. You've got to get the information you need because I'm going to give it to you, but you're going to possess it. I'm going to lay it out for you. I've already made a covenant with it. It's yours. I don't care who's living there. I created it. I made a covenant with the earth, and I can remove whoever I want to remove, and I can give it to whoever I want to give it to you. He said, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, you go determine. So now some guys came back with a negative report. Some guys came back with a positive report. That's how they saw it. It's their perspective. Listen to this. Whether the people who dwell in it, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak or few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad. You got to determine the it you're living in and whether it is good or bad. I've got to determine the it where I'm living, whether it is good or bad. It's as simple as this 2024 could be a great year by the old adage of just going thumbs up or thumbs down. Is it good or is it bad? When you're making a decision, a marital decision, a financial decision, a parenting decision, a business decision, a Christian decision. Is this a good decision or bad decision? How many of y'all know what it's like to make a few bad decisions? Well, this is what Jesus is good at, taking things that are in hell, taking things that are in pits, taking things that are going down, and turn them around and make them good. He can work all things together for your good, amen? He wants you to live in a good land. He wants you to have a good year. You know what good is? It's the nickname for goodness. We have one who is good, Jesus said, and is God. Do you want to live in a God land or a human land? Do you want to live in a blessed land or a cursed land? That's our choice and our decision but we got to deal with the it in our life. But Joshua, uh, let, me, let me finish in 13. Good or bad? He said, so the dwell in it. Uh, chapter 26, and they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and got Kadesh. And they brought back word to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. They can't deny the fruit. Listen to me. You will be known by your fruit. 
There is proof that it's good land. But they spoke against the goodness and pointed out the bad. They denied the faith and embraced the fear. I'm telling you, 2024 could be different. How you look at it and how you approach it. They showed them the fruit and they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly, it truly flows with milk and honey. Now, friends, you have to jump way back in Scripture, all the way back to Exodus, and find out where God promised to Moses, I'm going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. Can you imagine what Moses is feeling? He's been the one that goes out and does everything, and now he's sitting back, and he's waiting for the next generation. He's waiting for the next ones in the church. He's waiting for the next ones to walk it out themselves, and they come back, and they say it just as God said it. Would that not have been just an incredible confirmation? Uh, Can you stop for a moment and listen for the confirmations that God is giving and not put them to the test? He has to give you a different one that you have already seen, you've already heard, but you weren't listening or looking? looking? Oh, yeah, that's what happens so often. Well, I I need a confirmation. I need some affirmation on the Lord. You missed 10 of them. Comes back and he says, it's flowing with milk. What are they dealing with? The promised land. What is the promised land? Every promise he has for you is part of the promised land. It's fruit. The people who dwell therein. We'll go down to verse 30. And then Caleb, the people started to to get a little frustrated with it and started to go negative. And Caleb quieted the people. Uh, That could be good for you in 2024. Uh, The the, uh, the 7th through the 10th could be a really good time to quiet yourself. Quiet yourself from all those around you. Sometimes you need to quiet the news. Sometimes you need to quiet the, uh, the, 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 the friends. You need to quiet others that are around you. All the negativity, all the worries, all the doubts, all the confusion that is going on around you, you need to quiet it. And Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Boy, he's lit on fire. He's ready to go. Let me say this to you, that we'd have the spirit of Caleb. If you know the story, they did not go at once because of the negative, griping and complaining is negativity, because of the negative report. They didn't go at once. Took them 40 years before they went. And only two of the 12 went. Many are called, few are chosen. It was Joshua and Caleb who said that we can take the land. We we can do this thing. Let, Let me say this to you. I know this definitely for me. We don't have 40 years to wait. We need to do it. We need to take the land. We need to embrace the promises. We need to live with a passion and a zeal to come into the fullness of what God has for our lives. We need to believe those songs that we're singing, that chains will be falling off, that he will blow again, that the city will be revival, that there will be awakening. We need to believe that there's no power in hell. We need to say at once, we're going to take it. And then I think heaven will echo for once, finally for once. They got serious about this, and they went for it. 
He goes on, he says, but the men who had gone up with him said, who are not able to go up against these people. For they are stronger than we are. They have children of Israel as a bad report. Of, they gave children of Israel a bad report of the land. Stay away from bad reports, friends. Which they had spied out saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all people whom we see in it are men of great stature. There we saw giants, the descendants of Anak, and came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Now they're speaking for the others. What they said about themselves, they're saying the others are saying about them, and they're speaking for their enemy. Sometimes your enemy doesn't have to fight you because you fight yourself. Can I point out Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinks, so he is. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. You determine what's going to be in your mind. You determine what comes in, whether it's through a television, whether it's through a, a, a music, whether it's through entertainment, whether it's through whatever it is, you determine what comes in your mind. That could be the it in your life that is keeping you from the that that he has for you. I know I'm getting up in your business right now. I get it. I'm not trying to. I want us to take the land. I want us to live in the fullness. I want us all to be blessed. I want us all to be favored. I'm, I'm tired of a church that is kind of half and half and sort of kind of, you know. We should all be living in the fullness. Here's what happens is that we have a tendency to let the fear of man to cause the faith in God to forfeit. You didn't hear that. What man thinks, what we think man thinks, how we see man. How we measure ourselves up to the stature of man. Whether we have to have the pat on the back or whether we have to have whatever it is, we feel like man is more important than God is to man. So we have a tendency to let the fear of man cause us to forfeit in our faith to God. If God be for us, then tell me who could be against us? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom then shall I fear? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And here we are knowing scriptures like this for years, for generations, from childhood to, to elder age. And we still struggle with the same issues because we never dealt with the it in our life. What is it? What is it? What is it is what is not yet finished. What is that one thing that continually nags at you? That weakness, that failing, that failing in your life. What is it that one thing that just won't let go of you? That's what you need to take to the cross because there is where Jesus finishes it. There's where he champions it. He conquers it. He sets you free. The sad thing is we become so accustomed, we don't want that. We want some other type of aid 
We want some other type of supplement. We want some other type of religion. We want some other type of whatever it may be. So we quit a marriage. We quit a church. Uh, we quit a job. And we try to go look for it somewhere else. Listen to me, friends. If that land that you're looking at was bad and you can't see it from God's eyes, the next land is not going to be any better. The grass is not greener only but yet where the septic tank sits. The fear of man could be the it in your life. I remember years ago, and you've probably heard this story before. I flew out to visit a friend in Texas, and I read a book on the way out there. I finished reading the book while I was there. At the end of the book, I found myself in a fetal position, lamenting, weeping over the premature death of this gospel uh, crusader and, and some of his children. And I just was broken, just, just broken to the core. And, and, I, and I got up and, and, and I left from Texas and I went back to Alabama and I started reading the book again. I was so compelled by it. I, I so just bought into it and I'm reading again and I get back home and the same thing happens. I find myself curled up in a ball in a fetal position, weeping, lamenting, just mourning over the grief for the loss of this person who died in 1982, the year I graduated from high school. I don't know this person. I don't know his family. I don't know anything about it. His life has influenced my life, my wife's life, many of your lives in here, but I'm weeping over this. And at that moment, I asked the Lord, I said, what is it? What is it? Why am I doing this? He said, I want you to go lay on his grave. Now, I'm not a grave soaker. I'm not of this philosophy that thinks you can lay in a grave and get somebody's anointing, but I am all about obedience. There is no blessing without an obedience to produce it. Unless a weak kernel falls in the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, what is the, the seed's ultimate purpose in life? To die. So it can produce. And once it produces, that seed is no more. Well, we have a tendency once we produce, we, we become the magnet. Oh, yeah. No, you're supposed to be dead. But you're getting all the praise. You're getting all the honor. You're getting all the promotion. You're getting all the fame. You're getting all the notoriety, whatever it may be. We don't live this kingdom thing the way we're supposed to live it. Probably some of the wisest people in here are sitting in these seats, and we don't even know it. Don't even know it because they're not promoting themselves. They're not, they're not uh, uh, shining a light on themselves. So I go, and I, and I go back, and I told Gretchen, I said, I feel like the Lord wants me to go do this. He said, when are you leaving? I thought, wait, well, you know, I'm, the, I'm the spontaneous one. You're the practical one. This must be God. I just came back. His grave was 80 miles from where I was when I read it the first time, but I didn't ask, what is it? So I fly back to Dallas. I rent a vehicle. Stay at a hotel that night, rent a vehicle, drive out to this little Baptist church out in the middle of nowhere. And this is where this, this man of God and his two children are lying at rest in this, this cemetery. I get out of my car and I'm reading, a, excuse me, I'm, I'm in my car and I'm having my devotion time and I'm reading. And I, I read that passage of scripture I just quoted to you. Unless a wheat kernel falls on the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. I thought, man, that is so good. I'm going to write that down again. Have you ever done that? You have a little journal there and you write, it's already written. 
I'm going to unline it. I'm going to highlight it. I'm going to circle it. But you, you're not, you're not going to make it any more good, but you're marking that it's good. You're judging it faithful. So I wrote it down in my book, unless a week kernel falls around. This means something. I don't know what it means, but it means something to me. So I get out of the vehicle. I didn't calculate out very well. That time of year, Texas has dew on the grass. And Texas, most Texas grass has sand with it. So dew, sand, and grass, and me don't do stuff good together, you know? Because I'm going to have to lay on the grave. And then I realized, I don't know where his grave is. How would I know? And there wasn't a little, you know, marker thing there to tell you where. I really appreciate those now. But I'm looking like, okay, so I just started walking. And so I'm walking kind of in a half moon shape, and there's a, there's a field fence right there. Just, and there's a cow on the other side of it. I think it's employed by uh, Chick-fil-A. It's one of those black and white cows. And the cow is looking at me like, what are you doing? And I started to be concerned about what the cow was thinking about me. I mean, he's watching every step I take, and I'm like, stop looking at me. I feel weird enough being here, let alone, you know, I'm like, and I start to try to talk a little cow language. Move, move, nothing, nothing whatsoever. I'm like, gateway. You know, it's just, I'm trying to, you know, remember the gateway computer, the black and white, I'm just like, Chick-fil-A, eat more chicken. I mean, I'm just, nothing's working. And at that moment, I realized something. I was dealing with the fear of man but I was the only man there. I said, I was the only man there. You see, those guys never met those people. They never put a sword up to one of them. They never watched them train. They had no knowledge whatsoever. It was their fear. It was their fear. It's a fear of man. You see, of man is my fear. It's your fear. Listen, we will never conquer. We will never live successfully by faith as we keep dragging fear along with us. I don't know what phobia you might have. I don't know what insecurity you might have. I don't know what scale you may live at in the comparison of man or woman or whatever or your check account and your balances or whatever, but that fear is the it in our lives that's keeping us from the that that he has for us. The fear of man, that's what I had to deal with. Oh, yeah, the story goes on. I never wavered. I got over that. I walked right past it. I didn't care what that cow was thinking about me more because the cow wasn't even thinking about it. I don't even know if cows can think. I don't know. But I had thought what the cow was thinking about me, and the cow didn't know what I was doing there. For all he knew, I was coming to make a burger <laughs> out of him. And so I walk, and I, and I end up, and I'm thinking, I, I, I'm at a stopping point. I'm like, where's that? And I look down, and I am six feet from the tombstone of this man. And this is what it says on there. It didn't say RIP. It didn't say what a wonderful man. Went too early. Somebody took the time to grave in there. Unless a weak kernel falls in the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Do you know what the three middle letters of obedience is? Die. When's the last time anybody ever talked to you about obedience? Your obedience. See, we become parents, now it's all about their obedience. Whether they're doing the way we want them to do it or not want them to do it, because we're fearful they might reflect us and make us look like we're not as good of a parent that we should be. And we start governing out of the fear of man again. I think about Abraham. I can't help but think about Abraham. 
Now we see that you fear the Lord. He was obedient after obedience after obedience after obedience, all the way to the point of death of his seed. He said, Abraham, Abraham. They had to speak to the natural man to get to the spiritual man to speak to the spiritual man to stop the natural man. I don't know which one it was. Had to call him twice. He said, now we see you fear the Lord. Could this be the year of the fear of the Lord? I'm not making a banner and promoting that out and like, hey, it's just kind of kind of wave movement there. I'm talking about a personal responsibility to fear the Lord. Don't let the fear of man cause you to forfeit the faith in God. Fear comes and goes, but holds you from being able to. So back to, to, to verse four, chapter 14, verse 8. It says in verse 8 when, when uh, uh, they're speaking to the people. He said, if the Lord delights in us, if the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land which flows with milk and honey. But that's a rich verse. But, but there's, 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 a, there's a condition here. There, there's, there's a basis here. If... Is an unconditional word based on conditions. I've always said this, if is the smallest, biggest word in the Bible. It's not a big word. Perhaps you've had those moments, and, and we have them more often than not now, when you go to write something, being that you don't write much anymore, you type now, you go to, and you're like, is that how you spell that? Have you ever had that? Yeah. And you're looking at it, and, and it's if, and you're like, that just doesn't look right. Could be the handwriting. But sometimes we, we aren't familiar with it. We're not common enough with it. He said, if the Lord delights in us. So is there the possibility? We've already seen that the Lord can be angry at us. The Lord can be disappointed with us. But it's not really us. It's the it. So if we deal with the it, you got a good preacher. What's the it in your life? He's not ragging you. He's not tearing you down. He's helping you to discover, uproot the it in your life. Because the it could cause the anger of the Lord and arouse his anger in the fire, and it could affect other people in your life. But if I delight in the Lord, if I delight in the Lord, listen, we need to understand that without faith, it's impossible to please God. But he is a rewarder to those who diligently seek him. Not those who draw back, not those who doubt, not those who waver, but those who diligently seek him. He's a rewarder to them. And it takes faith. Without faith, but with faith, you can please God. If the Lord delights us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us. I have this sense that there's, there's something possessive that God wants to give to you. There's something that God wants to release you. There's something that God wants to reward you with. I feel like the heavens are tightly shut up. I feel like the heavens are having to hold back because he will withhold no good thing from those who do and walk uprightly. 
And the more righteous you and I determine to be, not pious, not prideful, but the more committed we get the it out of our life and give our lives to Christ and to follow him, there's things that are going to be unfolded to us. There's things that are going to be given to us. There's things that will be released to us. I'm speaking your blessing over your life. I'm speaking your benefit over your life. I'm speaking your possession over your life. I'm speaking your inheritance over your life. What good is an inheritance to a dead man? But one who is walking in the will of God can perform great and mighty deeds to God and for God when he has what God has for him. A land which flows with milk and honey. You know, I stated something last week, I believe it was. Without him, we can do nothing. If anything that you do of yourself is nothing, what's wrong with doing nothing if you can't do anything without God? What am I saying? Wait on the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Believe in the Lord. Don't try to do it in your own strength. Don't try to do it in your own ability. We're going to wrap this up. Verse 9. Only, only do not rebel against the Lord. I, I, I beseech you, I, I plead with you for just a moment. You know, before I got up to preach, I just had one of those thoughts I haven't had in a long time. Right before I preach, but I live with every day. I'm going to preach like it's the first time I've ever preached, and I'll preach like it's the last time I'll ever get to preach. The first time is I always have that queasiness, that uncertainty that it, it, I just want to make sure it's the will of the Lord. It's, it's God. It's not me. And the last time is I want to make sure we get what we need to get. He says, do not rebel against the Lord. Don't resist him. I'm going to ask you to somewhere today to have time before the Lord and ask him, have I been rebellious? Because if I were to say to you or you were to say to me, is that person a rebel? You'd probably say, no. Well, they have some weaknesses. They have some, uh, what causes those weaknesses? How can it be a weakness when we can be so strong to say no to God when we should be saying yes to him? Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land. Nor fear the people of the land. Don't rebel the Lord and don't fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Stop fearing others. Fear God. Keep his commandments. In Matthew 10, 28, it says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You know, there's some things that line up with this one thing. And the one thing is this. No man, nobody, nobody knows the hour of the time of the return of Jesus. Nobody. Jesus didn't know it. He said, it's not even for you to know, so you don't have to try to figure it out. But you need to understand the times. You need to understand the times. And so we have a tendency, and there's times when I read the Bible. I was reading the Bible just the other day, and it, and it says, you know, about being put in prison and, and, and uh, being mocked and, and being crucified. And, and I, just, I just, my spirit just said, oh, that's what I'm going to do one day. That's what's going to happen to me one day. And I kind of looked at myself, like, did you just say that? Did you just say that? What are you saying? But it just showed me my faith is in a good place. I didn't wrestle with it. 
then fight with it. If that's, if that's, I don't know that's going to happen. I don't know that hour. I don't know that day. But I know it's possible to happen. I know the scripture says it's going to, I know it's going to happen to somebody. And why should it not be me? Why should it not be us? You got to ask yourself that question. Are you living a life worthy of them to judge you? You should be, because you should be living a life worthy of him to judge you. Do not fear the people who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. In hell. And Jesus didn't, didn't dance around that. He goes, well, I, you know, that's for other people. It's not for you guys right now. No, that was exactly for those guys and those guys and anybody who reads the Bible. There's, a, there's an end turn. You, you can take the land of faith or be owned by the land of fear. Verse 10, how did they respond? That's a good question. And all the congregation said, stone them with stones. Uh, today, that would be all the congregation said, post on Facebook. <laughs> Extra twit, whatever you call them. You know, just canceled. Yeah, you know, just, you know, I, I don't like what you're saying. And to, to the congregation, it could be, well, I'm not going to church anymore. And most likely, this is what will happen, is that they'll find a reason not to go there, which isn't the real reason. It's not me. It's not me. It's him. You, you know, it, it's, it's not Moses and Aaron. It's God they have an issue with. It's not man and woman. It's God they have an issue with. And then they're going to go try to find somewhere in life to where they can have God their way. And God can be their servant, and God can be their pet, and God can be their, uh, their, their genie. They can rub their fat belly. They can put their hand on a rub. Got to hope something out of there. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Well, I got good news for you. Yes, we might get put in jail, but yes, we're going to take the land. Because if you notice, 40 years later, ain't nobody alive but the two, they said, stone them. Last I checked, the Lord is my shield and my buckler and the glory and the lifter of my head. Watch this. So they're getting ready to stone the guys, right? Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. He came to their defense. Because he knew if they lost those two, there wasn't nobody going in. And I want you to know something. The glory of the Lord will be your buckler and your shield as you stand for what is right in the sight of the Lord. As you obey and you keep faith, even though other people slow it down and keep it 40 years from happening, God will defend you. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? I want, I want to point something out here. I think it's, I think it's important. Uh, is 
there's a lot of connection and relationship between God and leaders that gives us indications of where things are or where things aren't. And now God leans over and, and, and asks for the ear of Moses. How long are these people going to reject me? How long are they going to resist me? How long are they going to oppose me? How long are they going to rebel against me? So I ask you a question. We have a few hours left, maybe 12 hours until this numbered day is over. Are you going to rebel him, reject him, despise him, disagree with him, fear them and not fear him, obey him and not obey them? Because we want to take the land. I sit back sometimes and for very short moments, I was sitting somewhere the other day and I, I sat down and I, and I leaned back and it was steep enough back that I could, oh, cross my leg. And I started thinking about the goodness of the Lord on my life, on the life of my wife and our children, our church family. I started, I mean, it was, and I didn't, I didn't get 15 seconds into it. And it was as if the Lord was saying, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Really? Can I talk to you about the next? Son, this is just a stepping stone to what I have for the kingdom of God. This is nothing but a stepping stone. You're just in the infant stages. Oh, I wish I could sit and, and tell you of all the things and the goodness and the favor and the faithfulness of God in, in, in my life and your life. I think Pastor G.J. shared some of that on Wednesday night with other people and God's been good in their life. And he's saying, that ain't nothing. Yeah, yeah. He's not talking about your dreams and your plans. He's talking about his. A lot of people are running after what they think is God's plan for their life. What they want and how they want God to do it and why it isn't. And then they start giving into things. They start giving away things. In other words, like Bible reading and prayer and worship and, and whatever, and they start to displace those things. You can displace things, but what you're really displacing is yourself. He said, how long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me with all the signs which I've performed among them? He's asking Moses questions. He's like, but I, I'm... I, I, uh, when the God of eternity has to ask you a timeline, he said, I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make you, of you, a nation greater and mightier than they. Let's stand to our feet. What kingdom do we want to belong to? What nation do we want to be a part of? Whose people do we want to be? Jesus said, for me to cross over into the eternal kingdom, it had to be finished. It had to be finished. Perhaps you know the it in your life. I'm going to stretch this for just a moment here.
Do you know the it in your life that needs to be finished? Kind of like when Paul said, I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I want to do. It's those things I'm talking about. Do you know the it in your life and you want to do business with him and nail the it to the cross? Leave it in his hands. If that's you, just come to the altar. Just come to the altar and do business. If you wrestle with and you fight with, you succumb to and you're troubled by the fear of man, you wrestle with and resist at times the fear of God. You want to get your life in order with God as you come to the altar. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, He is the way, the truth, and life. There is no other way. There's no other way to heaven but through Jesus Christ. You can't get to heaven through the well. You can't get to heaven through the Baptist church. You can't get to heaven through a Sunday school teacher or preacher. You must go through Jesus Christ. You must go through the doorway of the cross. You must be under the blood of Jesus Christ. Your sins have to be forgiven. I wrote in my journal this morning, Lord, if there's any sins I never remembered to confess and I didn't confess, cover them with the blood. I don't want an it in my life. It could be unforgiveness. It could be bitterness. It could be resentment. It could be jealousy. It could be hatred. It could be compromise. It could be doubt. It could be fear. Lasciviousness. Covetousness. Lust. you to the altar if you have an it that you need to repent of and nail to the cross. Disobedience, not readily available to God. Friends, 2024 is going to be all about the will of God, all about the will of God. Are you willing Let's pray this prayer together. Lord Jesus, today I choose you. I surrender my life to you. I declare not my will, but your will be done. Lord Jesus, purge me, cleanse me, and create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit in me. That's the it I want in my life, the spirit. Your grace, your love, and your truth until I'm full of it. Lord Jesus, today I give my old it to you and ask you to nail it to the cross. Cover it with the blood. Make me new. Today, I walk in freedom. Help me, Lord, to be obedient at all costs, at all measures, and at all times. 
Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I give to you the most greatest commodity that I have, my life. It's yours. For your glory and for your honor, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Now say this with me. It is finished. Now come on, say it with conviction. It is finished in Jesus' name. I trust that you are encouraged and inspired by the word of God today. Once again, I want to say thank you for joining us on this podcast. It's very important that after you receive the Word of God to make sure it gets sealed in your heart. I'd like to do that with you. I'd like to pray with you that we can tuck it away in our hearts and that we let the Word of God have free course, move swiftly in us, and it would glorify God. You know, the Word of God is a seed. You can expect results out of it. You can expect fruit out of it. You can expect something to be produced. Again, I'm so thankful that you joined us. Now allow me just a moment to pray with you. Father God, we come to you in the wonderful name of Jesus, the Word of God himself. And I thank you for the Word that has been heard. I thank you for the Word that has been received. And Lord, now I ask that it gets covered up and it gets protected and locked and lodged in our hearts, Lord. And Father, I pray that you would water it. I pray that you would nurture it, that you would bring the light and revelation that it needs. And I pray that it produce good fruit in each and every heart that has received it today. I ask this in Jesus' name. I do this at the end of every service at the church. I want to do it with you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And may the Lord find great delight in you. And may you find great joy in him. May the Lord provide for you. May the Lord protect you. And may the Lord give you peace, peace. God bless you. Thanks for joining us.